After you're finished with this episode, please check out the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. Winning your league starts with the right data, and Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News provides you the edge you need in your fantasy football leagues. Locked On Fantasy Football is a daily podcast all year round, so your fantasy team never fails. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast wherever you get podcasts. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bucks Nation? Welcome to today's episode of the Locked On Bucks Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Harrison, Dave Darko, off for today's episode, our first crossover Thursday of the new season. And of course, that means that football is nearly back again i am david harrison you can find me on twitter at d harrison 82 my co-host james jarko is at jarko underscore bucks if you're a new listener welcome to the show returning listeners we appreciate you as always either way if you haven't already please click subscribe or follow the podcast leave a rating leave a review to help other bucks fans find us you can also find everything that we are writing about the tampa bay buccaneers over at bucksnation.com on twitter at bucks underscore nation we have a very good but lengthy conversation with Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, coming up. So let's get right to that. All right, guys, and joining me now here at the Locked On Bucks podcast, kicking off our divisional crossover series as we get ready to get into training camp, into the preseason, and get this thing rolling is Aaron Freeman on Twitter at FalcFans, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, also on Twitter at Locked On Falcons. Aaron, thank you for joining me. How have you been, and, and how much are you looking forward to this 2021 NFL season? Yeah, it's exciting. You know, we're getting to that point uh, in the summer where, you know, the season or at least training camp is right around the corner, which means the season is right around the corner. I have done this long enough where I have managed, learned to sort of manage my expectations and not let the excitement get too much for me. But once, you know, practices start kicking off and preseason games start kicking off, that's when I'll, I'll definitely ramp up my excitement level. Absolutely. And Looking at the the Atlanta Falcons, right, we've got to start with Julio Jones. So how surprised or how not surprised were you about the loss of Julio Jones being traded to the Tennessee Titans? Yeah, you know, it kind of snuck up on us. We knew going into the offseason that there was a possibility that the Falcons would trade Julio Jones. But as we made it through February and March and and then, you know, basically the Monday before the, the draft, you know, up to that point, we had heard almost nothing about the idea of the Falcons trading Julio Jones. So, you know, we were operating with this sort of assumption that, you know, it wasn't going to happen. Then mm-hmm. the Monday before the draft, you heard these rumors that the Falcons were at least taking calls on Julio Jones. But even then, it seemed like, well, they'll take calls because if someone wants to sort of blow them away with an offer, you know, right. they would happily uh, potentially work out that deal. But since no one's going to do that, um, you know, Julio is going to be a, a player. And then, you know, a, a month later, you know, he goes on FS1, hmm. uh, talks to Shannon Sharp and basically says he doesn't want to be a Falcon anymore. And then that sort of, you know, completely derailed <laughs> all expectations uh, of, of this team going into the season. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was certainly a shocker. The Falcons are certainly going to lose their most reliable and their most dynamic playmaker on offense. Right. And it's going to be a question mark whether or not, you know, with the presence of uh, Arthur Smith calling plays and, and Kyle's pits uh being added to this offense will they be able to sort of fill that void 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of weird how the whole thing developed. And, and for the casual Buccaneers fan, you know, they, they see the Falcons. They know what's going on with them from kind of a, the periphery, obviously. But maybe they don't understand the full details of what happened. So can you kind of break down what is known, at least, about the Julio Jones situation with Atlanta? Because, I mean, for a long time, he was really being praised for being one of these veteran receivers to stick it out with the franchise drafted and being dedicated, being loyal. And then, like you said, kind of speaking with Shannon Sharp just kind of blows the whole thing up. And then, you know, perhaps as a result of that phone call and everybody kind of knowing that Julio didn't want to go back to Atlanta, you know, the Falcons have to ship Julio and a 2023 sixth to the Titans. They get a 2022 second back, which a lot of people maybe think is a little bit too low, but he is kind of a veteran aged receiver. And then a 2023 fourth round pick, which could actually get worse or lower in the, in the sequence of things. If the Titans get a compensatory pick that year, then they take that comp pick instead of the original fourth round pick, which would obviously be a little bit higher. So how did that whole thing kind of develop or what do you know? What do we know publicly about the, the degradation of the relationship between Julio Jones and the franchise? And what do you think about the compensation they got in return for him? Yeah, you know, to the best of my knowledge, from what I've been told, what I understand from, uh, you know, not having any sort of direct knowledge and, and may never get any sort of direct knowledge from at least the parties uh, involved in this, uh, whether we're talking about Falcons general manager Terry Fontenot or head coach Arthur Smith, as well as Julio Jones, they've been all kind of uh, quick to sort of deflect any sort of direct uh, questions about uh, right. this topic. But you know, from the best we can tell is Julio Jones, uh, when he um, essentially in 2018 sort of put it out there that he wanted to get a reworked contract. And it didn't seem like a, a big issue then, even though he had three years left on his contract, because we saw this exact scenario play out with Antonio Brown, a player that Bucks fans are familiar with in Pittsburgh with three years left on his contract. The Steelers wound up adjusting that uh, a couple of times and then um, you know, that didn't necessarily work out for him long term in Pittsburgh, but uh, it was a situation where it seemed like that scenario was going to get resolved in a similar way. And the Falcons basically made promises to Julio Jones back in 2018 that we'll adjust your contract for the short term now and then we'll work out something long term next offseason. And from what I understand, you know, it basically took until the week of the regular season starting before that deal was done. And that sort of prolonged negotiation uh, between Julio Jones and the front office, um, you know, caused, a, I guess, a lot of bad blood on either side of the equation. And then the following year, um, so basically at that point in time, Julio Jones's, you know, comfort level with the front office was not great. And sort of the one thing sort of keeping him in Atlanta that was making him relatively content was the presence of Dan Quinn, who, you know, despite his lack of success on the field these last couple of years, was certainly a beloved uh, person within the Falcons locker room. Um, you, you know, his struggles weren't because the players weren't willing to, to play for him. And with his dismissal last year, that sort of severed, severed the final connection between Julio Jones and the organization. And sort of my own spin on it is that he was sort of tired of losing Julio as a very competitive player right. and sort of having that bad blood with the front office, having uh, not necessarily feeling the need to, to go through whatever you want to call it, a rebuild with a new uh, regime and, and sort of this Falcon team not necessarily being a team, you know, on the verge of, of Super Bowl success, you know, hopefully Falcon fans uh, will disagree with me on that statement. And, and certainly I would love to be wrong on that assessment. 
But, uh, you know, I think Julio looked at sort of the light at the end of the tunnel where, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time left and wanted to get one more bite at the apple to possibly win a Super Bowl and sort of seeing the circumstances in Atlanta uh, where, you know, the team needed some cap relief. You know, I, I feel like he sort of played his one last real opportunity to sort of force his way out of Atlanta. Um, and that led to his departure this offseason. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the immediate aftermath is that Calvin Ridley uh, becomes the presumed wide receiver one. And then, I don't know, Christian Blake, Russell Gage. I mean, Frank Darby, I'm a fan of. We'll talk about him here in a little bit. You know, who who's wide receiver number two, I guess? And then do you think Calvin Ridley is ready to be the guy? Well, I think Calvin Ridley is ready to be the guy. Um, he was essentially the guy for half a season last year when Julio Jones missed half the season. Um, so, and he performed reasonably well in the majority of those games. So I don't think there's really a concern that Calvin Ridley can't be a number one wide receiver. Now, whether he can be a number one receiver on the level of Julio Jones, mm -hmm. who in my humble opinion will probably be a first ballot hall of famer, yeah. certainly, you know, that's a very, very high hill to climb, uh, a very high standard to reach. Um, but I, I do expect, you know, and I do consider Calvin Ridley to be one of the 10 to 12 best wide receivers in the league already. And I think that will, if that is not necessarily popular opinion at this point, I think, you know, four or five months from now, that will be sort of the consensus opinion surrounding him. So I, I think he's, he's ready to go. Um, I think the question is going to be who's going to emerge as that sort of number two. And right now, presumably it's going to be Russell Gage, who has been their number three wide receiver for the last year and a half since they traded Mohamed Sanu midway through the 2019 season. And Gage has been a very effective slot receiver for them and mm -hmm. has put up comparable production to what Muhammad Sanu did the previous years playing out of that slot role. The big question is, can he continue to perform at that level and continue to produce at that level if he's going to be asked to be a little bit more of an outside receiver? Now, Gage did start his career primarily as a backup to Julio Jones uh, and would get some you know reps early in his career uh, when Julio sort of needed a breather or whatnot, but didn't really do anything to really sort of impress in that limited opportunities then uh, to make you think like, oh, he's destined to be a very effective outside wide receiver. And that's part of the reason why I think the Falcons ultimately moved him into the slot the following year. Um, so I, I think it remains a question if he's going to be sort of the same type of player that Julio, or obviously he's not going to be the same type of player that Julio Jones is, but I'm saying right. like can sort of, um, fill that void to a certain extent. And I, I think that's a, a major question moving forward and beyond him, you know, I don't know if you can have a lot of expectations on the rest of this wide receiver core. You have Tajay Sharp, who um, was basically AJ Brown's primary backup for a year or two uh, under Arthur Smith in Tennessee. And while he was decent in that role, you know, it, it's telling that he couldn't necessarily carve out a role as a backup and role player in Minnesota, where a team that has really struggled with their wide receiver depth these last several years and, and really looking for a number three guy to emerge and haven't really had that player for a number of years. You also have Frank Darby, uh, you know, a talented player um, that could, you know, be developed in that role to be more of that outside stretch wide receiver that he was at Arizona State. But you do wonder, 
how ready he is uh, to enter the NFL. Rookie wide receivers aren't necessarily known for hitting the ground running in the NFL. And um, I think, you know, Darby is not necessarily the most polished wide receiver, uh, you know, relative to that. And so the expectations that he'll be able to, uh, you know, step in right away, I I think is is fair to question that a little bit. So, you know, it it is definitely a concern, but I think the Falcons are going to hope that, you know, between Ridley, between Gage, their tight ends and their running game that they can sort of, collectively compensate for the loss of Julio Jones. But I, I think it's fair for, you know, people in Atlanta and people outside of Atlanta to question that a little bit. Today's episode brought to you in part by rockauto.com with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It is impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you're going to need. Save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts at a chain store or car dealership than what you can get it for at rockauto.com. For example, Honda Odysseys. You can get a fuel pump for $353 from some certain chain stores. At rockauto.com, you're going to get that bad boy for $216 because rockauto.com's prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you can need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. He is Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast on Twitter at FalcFans and at Locked On Falcons. We've been talking about the loss of Julio Jones, Aaron, and obviously it's, it's a big one, but the Falcons didn't just lose Julio Jones. There are some players that were on the roster last year that aren't uh, with the team anymore. Maybe some of those aren't actually losses, maybe a little bit of addition by subtraction. And then, of course, the, co- the, course, the coach staff is completely new. The front office is, is different. Where is the biggest loss for this Falcons team? And I'll even open it up to the coaching staff if, if you believe that maybe some of the coaches or all the coaches should have been retained, although I don't think you do. Where is the biggest loss outside of Julio from 2020 to 2021 for this Falcons team? Well, I think, you know, the, the expectation is that the coaching changes will be, you know, addition, uh, I guess it, a lot of people's eyes, addition by subtraction. I think the expectations are for this team from a coaching standpoint that they will be a much improved team because I think a lot of people look at the failures and shortcomings of the last couple of seasons under Dan Quinn and his coaching staff, and especially with the play calling Mm-hmm. Uh, from Dirk Cutter, uh, and I know Bucks fans are very familiar with that <laughs> individual, uh, as sort of underachieving. And I think a lot of people are excited to see what Arthur Smith can do. They're excited to see what Dean Pease, the new defensive coordinator, who's had a lot of success uh, in Baltimore and New England in the past and, and recently was with the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, helping revamp that defense, are, are going to be big improvements. I think right now the biggest question mark for me, you know, on the team is the interior offensive line. And it's not because the Falcons lost two, you know, stellar individuals in that. Uh, James Carpenter was their starting left guard last year, and he was just average. Um, and, and even Alex Mack, who's probably going to be another future Hall of Famer, you know, just hasn't been that same dominant player. He, he was good last year for, right. you know, portions of the season. But as the season wore on, 
you know, his, his play kind of reverted to being more average than necessarily being the sort of perennial pro bowler that he's been known throughout, uh, you know, a, de- a decade in the NFL. And so those players losing those two players wouldn't necessarily be huge dramatic losses, but the Falcons kind of did the minimum possible to sort of fill those voids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they signed Josh Andrews, who was a backup for the New York Jets last year and struggled in you know, four or five starts. Uh, uh, replacing their various um, start injured starters last year. They drafted a rookie in Jalen Mayfield in the third round this year, who was a right tackle at Michigan, but is kind of a developmental project that, you know, you question if he's going to be able to hit the ground running immediately as a left guard in the NFL. You know, they drafted last year uh, in the third round, Matt Hennessy, uh, the center to potentially be the heir apparent to Alex Mack. And in limited opportunities, primarily as a guard last year, he didn't necessarily, um, you know, impress you all that much. Mm-hmm. And then they drafted a, a fourth round center this year and Drew Dolman out of Stanford, who, while is a good player, but has some of the similar limitations uh, that Matt Hennessy does, where you question a little bit whether he has the strength and, and size to hold up in the middle. And when you're facing, you know, a physical monstrosity by the name of Vita Vea twice a year in the division. That's not necessarily a thing that you want to have on your resume in terms mm-hmm. of questioning your ability to match up with, against power. So there are some major question marks on the interior of this offensive line. And when you have a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who's, you know, more of a pocket quarterback that wants to step up in the pocket and be able to step into his throws, that is a cause for concern. And this interior offensive line has been, part of the problem in in the sort of shoddy play that they've gotten from that position group these last couple of years has been part of the reason why the offense has not been able to perform. And you can certainly make a case that it hasn't improved at all, Um, (laughs) you know, and so it's going to be even worse than it has been in previous years. So it's a, that's a major question mark. And I I think the Falcons did not necessarily uh, address that, position group as adequately as uh, people like myself expected heading into the offseason. Yeah, and that'll definitely be something interesting to watch when the Buccaneers face Falcons that, you know, that pass rush and that that def- defensive front likes to get a nice little push going. So we'll see how they hold up. And then, of course, the flip side of that, additions to the roster, mostly, you know, draft picks and then obviously the coaching staff. Where do you think the biggest jump comes from the new additions in this year's team? Well, I think, you know, Kyle Pitts is obviously the, the big name. Um, but you do wonder a little bit to the same conversation we've already had where, you know, you're asking a rookie to sort of come in at a position at tight end that isn't necessarily uh, known for hitting the ground running immediately, but he's going to kind of due to the Julio Jones trade be forced in um, to, you know, is, someone's going to have to catch the ball other than Calvin Ridley. And I think Kyle Pitts is, is the, obvious candidate to be sort of the number two option. Uh, we talked about Russell Gage being the number two receiver, but I think Kyle Pitts is the obvious candidate to be the number two option in reality. Um, but beyond him, you know, I think Mike Davis is probably the player that you get the most excited about if you're a Falcon fan, just because the Falcons running game has not been particularly effective. And while Mike Davis is far from a proven commodity you've seen the flashes of him particularly last year in Carolina stepping in for Mm -hmm. Christian McCaffrey and and particularly early in the season looking pretty good. And sort of the hope is that with Arthur Smith's offense and and the success 
that Derrick Henry was able to have in Tennessee. And, and people forget that, you know, Derrick Henry, the first couple of years in the NFL was not particularly, a, you know, this dominant runner that he's been right. the last couple of years. And, and part of the reason why his success uh, sort of took off a couple of years ago was because of the implementation of the outside zone running scheme. The Falcons have a lot of success going back to their Super Bowl season, running that similar scheme under uh, Kyle Shanahan. And they're sort of going to get back to that under Arthur Smith. That's how their offensive line has been built. Built. And, you know, one of the issues that they had with Dirk Cutter was not necessarily uh, committing to that type of running scheme, despite their personnel um, being geared towards that. And so you look at Mike Davis and you say, look, if if we can get what Mike Davis was for those like first four or six games where he was replacing Christian McCaffrey for 16 games, that's going to be an improvement on the Falcons running game. That's going to be able to take some of the pressure off of the passing game to have to carry the offense as it has been forced to do far too often these last couple of years. Um, and again, while Mike Davis is not necessarily a proven um, option in that regard, at least there's at least room for optimism to think that this is a player that has flash potential and just really needs an opportunity coming and playing for his hometown team. So he's going to certainly be inspired uh, to put his best effort forward every single week. So I, I think if you're going to be optimistic about anything about this Falcons team, it's probably Mike Davis and you're hoping that the running game can show some improvement to help uh, pick up the slack uh, that the team ultimately will probably lose from the departure of Julio Jones. Today's episode brought to you in part by our friends over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Hockey and basketball are over, but baseball is in full swing and the NFL is right around the corner. Before the next contest, head over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Again, head over to betonline.ag, sign up, and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, joining me, Dave Harrison, here on the Locked On Bucks podcast, getting our crossover Thursdays underway. Find Aaron on Twitter at FalcFans, and then find his show at Locked On Falcons. And Aaron, we've been talking about the loss of Julio, the loss of some other people, but also some additions. And of course, the NFL draft is always, you know, fresh, fresh meat for talking about those new additions, especially guys like Kyle Pitts, who you kind of mentioned. But I want to kind of go outside of Kyle Pitts, unless he's truly not your number one, you know, quote unquote, favorite guy from this draft class. Uh, who is your your favorite guy? Well, yeah, again, it, it's too easy to sit here and, and wax poetic about how great the prospect <laughs> Kyle Pitts is. Right. So I, I will, you know, do the thing that you don't want me to do and go for the sort of low hanging fruit talking about Kyle Pitts for the next five minutes. So I'll, I'll go to the Falcons next uh, selection in safety, <laughs> Richie Grant out of UCF yeah. as, uh, you know, a sort of low-key uh, pickup for the Falcons. I know a lot of people thought of Richie Grant as the best safety in this draft. Mm -hmm. um, and the Falcons really needed to sort of revamp their secondary uh, heading into this um, offseason. You know, they lost their top three safeties. They really lost all four of their safeties in Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, DeMonte Casey, and Sherrod Neesman last year. And they had to sort of completely replace those guys. They brought in mm -hmm. veterans like Deron Harmon and Eric Harris in free agency. They also had uh, Jalen Hawkins, a fourth round pick a year ago. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, you're adding Richie Grant to the mix. And the expectation with 
you know, sort of Ricky Grant's future is that he's going to be kind of the quarterback of this uh, secondary moving forward. And uh, he's going to be asked to, to, to carry a significant burden right away uh, to come in and carve out a starting spot for that free safety position. But I think Richie Grant really does fit what Dean Pease is looking for in that sort of safety position. When you look at some of the successful free safeties that Pease has coached over his time in, in Baltimore and Tennessee, people like Ed Reed and Eric Weddle and, and Kevin Bayard. And maybe Richie Grant may not be as good as some of those players are because some of those guys are are Hall of Famers and, and perennial all pros. But right. I think Richie Grant brings sort of the similar versatility that those guys have, whether you want him to play, you know, deep coverage, whether you want him to play closer to the line of scrimmage, whether he can blitz, rush the quarterback, play the run and whatnot. I think Richie Grant is a versatile asset to have in this defense that Dean Pease has been known to have at that position. And I think he really becomes a the type of player that you can sort of build a solid secondary and use as sort of this a little bit of a chess piece uh, to move around the formation and use him in creative ways that Dean Pease has been known to do. So I think, you know, I'm really excited to see what Richie Grant's future is going to be, whether he winds up, you know, being a five-time pro bowler like some of those other guys I mentioned remains to be seen. But I certainly think Dean Pease's defense is the type of defense that we will probably see the best version of Richie Grant uh, in the future. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what that player winds up developing into. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was I was a huge fan of Richie Grant, you know, entering the NFL draft. He was actually a guy that uh, for the other team that I cover, the Washington football team, I was hoping that if one of those off ball linebackers wasn't available uh, when they were picking in the first round, then maybe they trade back, get Richie Grant and get some other draft picks to get some other players later. Or if they did grab an off ball linebacker, which they did in Jamin Davis, uh, maybe they move back up and and package some picks or even a player here or there uh, and and move up and grab a guy like Richie Grant. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't, but he ends up in a place where I'm going to get to watch him anyway. So I'm happy if I could see a guy like Richie uh, develop, kind of like uh, Deion Jones, or one of my favorite guys coming into the draft his year as well. And then of course, Aaron, we got to flip it to the other side of that coin as well. Is there a pick you just didn't like, or even if you don't necessarily dislike any of the picks, is there a guy that you just kind of don't see? you know, turning into maybe his maximum potential. Yeah. The player I mentioned earlier, Jalen Mayfield, I have a lot of concerns about Jalen Mayfield. I feel like, you know, essentially as I've broken it down on, on lockdown Falcons back uh, in the weeks following the draft, I think there's a certain narrative surrounding Jalen Mayfield. That is a narrative um, where he, he got him in that Michigan offensive line, I think got a lot of credit for quote unquote, shutting down Chase Young in that Ohio State game back right. in 2019. And yes, Chase Young was blanked on the on the box score, mm -hmm. uh, zero tackle, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. But if you go back and you watch that Ohio State Michigan game, uh -huh. Chase Young was certainly dominant in that game. Yeah. And um, going back and re watching that game. I feel like there was this narrative coming out of that game as, oh, Michigan's offensive linemen with John Runyon and and um, Jalen Mayfield shut down Chase Young. But when you really watch that game, you saw particularly Mayfield really be overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. it wasn't just Chase Young. It was Jonathan Cooper, the Ohio State's other edge, who I think was a seventh round pick for mm -hmm. somebody this past offseason. I can't recall off the top of my head that really gave Jalen Mayfield problems. And I think Jalen Mayfield's game is not as sort of clean uh, you know, I think he was a player that was getting a lot of first round and second round hype based yeah. off of that 2019 season and expectations. And I just didn't see that type of player. I saw more of a day three developmental, maybe a guy that's more of a mid-level starter 
in the NFL um, and probably not a guy that could function as a starting tackle in the NFL, but moving to guard could be uh, turned into an effective, decent starter, but nothing that you're going to write your home about. You know, we know that there aren't 160 good offensive linemen uh, in the NFL to, to be evenly distributed between all 32 NFL teams. And so there's a lot of players in the NFL that are going to start games um, that aren't great. I know Bucks yeah. fans put players like Donovan Smith and Alex Kappa potentially in, in that sort of category of guys that you just sort of live with. Uh, and it's like, you're fine. As long as, you know, they can keep your quarterback from getting killed. You can live with those guys. And I feel like that was kind of Jalen Mayfield's expectations from me going into the NFL. when I looked at him as a prospect and to sort of see the Falcons peg him as their sort of go-to option at that left guard position, Again, as I mentioned earlier, a position that he's going to be a little bit of a project at when there were other potential better, more proven options on the board, players like Quinn Miners, who was drafted by Mm -hmm. Denver, players like Kendrick Green, who was drafted by Pittsburgh. It left me sort of scratching my head a little bit. I hope I'm wrong on that. I think the good thing that Jalen Mayfield has going for him is, as I mentioned earlier, James Carpenter wasn't great in Atlanta. So it's not like he has to be a star in order to give the Falcons essentially a lateral move at that position. Mm -hmm. And, and, well, that's not ideal. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the expectation is that would improve play calling and whatnot that, you know, if you basically took the exact same offensive line that the Falcons had in terms of their overall performance from a year ago, and you improved the play calling from Dirk Cutter to Arthur Smith, you'll get much better offensive production from, uh, you know, the Arthur Smith led team. And so that's kind of the expectation I have, but like, I don't want to necessarily live in a world where I have to set my standards extremely low, where it's like, <laughs> you're not as you're, you're just as good as James Carpenter. And I, I feel that's what I fear with Jalen Mayfield moving forward. But uh, obviously, Obviously, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm a little too low on Jalen Mayfield and he winds up proving me wrong and, and exceeding those expectations. Uh, I mean, he's going to kind of have to if he winds up being a starter, because I think right now the Falcons having Josh Andrews pencil atop that depth chart at left guard does not fill me with a ton of confidence that Matt Ryan is going to survive this upcoming season. All right, guys, again, that was Aaron Freeman of the Locked on Falcons podcast. Truly appreciate him joining me here today on this episode now that you finished with this episode get more of the sporting news you need in less time with the locked on today podcast follow the locked on today podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts james jarko and i will be back tomorrow on friday to wrap up this week our first five-day week back from our off-season three-day shrunk down schedule we could be happy i hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing from jill back with kevin possibly now here Freeman. james i went back to wrap up the week. Thank you so much for joining us right here at Lockdown.